Welcome back to Fusion Health Radio, episode 112, Neuroplasticity and Cold Showers. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello everyone and welcome back if you've been listening for a while and welcome today if it's your first time listening. My name is Dr. Michael Smith and my usual partner in crime, Anthony Sana, has gotten a big job at a big radio station so he's going to be gone for a while and uh, what I'm going to do for the next couple of months is do solo casts, probably weekly. And right now my focus primarily uh, has to do with the benefits of meditation, breath work, somatic awareness, and trauma release with respect to chronic illness, and uh, especially uh, people experiencing uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or any kind of addiction. Uh, I'm still focused on autoimmune disease. If you've been listening for uh, all the previous episodes, that's a big part of my focus as a clinician, but... The last year has shown me a lot about the fundamental necessity of being really connected with your body and really aware, not only in the sense of emotional intelligence and being aware of your strong feelings, but taking the time to find a practice to really connect with and reorientate your life or reorient your life uh, kind of from the inside out, especially on the level of somatic awareness. Basically how you feel uh, under your skin and between all your muscles and bones. So today, I'm going to have a little conversation with you about neuroplasticity and cold showers. So if you're unfamiliar with the idea of neuroplasticity, it's basically the understanding that more or less, no matter how old you are, you can still learn new skills, you can still repair old habits, you can basically uh, restructure your brain neuropathways in a way that allows you to change who you are, somewhat subtly. My favorite way of describing neuroplasticity is it changes the way your brain remembers you. Now that's a funny thing to say, but it does imply that we can fundamentally restructure uh, in a way on an instinctual level, on a, a really deep core kind of embodied level, how it is that we experience our lives. And that's amazing just to know that uh, with some practice and maybe some blood, sweat and tears, depending on who you are, you can actually heal your life in a pretty powerful way. So what does this all have to do with cold showers? Well, when you think of neuroplasticity, it's your brain's ability to learn and grow. And if you've never had a cold shower or you really don't like cold water, putting yourself through the adaptive stress and the sort of shift of boundaries and thresholds that you experience in a cold shower just as an adaptive sport, if you will, you know, you're going out to play rough a little bit with your comfort zone, that's going to change a great deal of how your adaptability works. And that has a lot to do with your character. It has a lot to do with uh, how you show up for other people, whether or not you have the patience to get into conflict with people. Because, you know, if you've done that rough play with your cold shower in your comfort zone, you're, a, as a person, much more likely to just adapt to situations with a little bit more uh, bounce in your step and maybe a little bit more patience in your heart um, and hopefully a little bit shorter claws in your hand and just in the sense of how 
especially we respond to people who are challenging or uh, people who bring conflict into our lives. So as I get into this, I just want to bring up uh, three different kinds of cold showers so that as we go through the conversation, I can be pretty specific about what helps you with what. So there are intermittent showers, there are adaptive showers, and then there are endurance or extended showers. In this conversation, I'm going to use an intermittent shower or say intermittent shower when I'm talking about using uh, the hot cold back and forth. Usually I recommend patients and students start around 15 seconds cold, then 15 seconds hot, starting after you've already finished, you know, washing your hair and shaving and whatever else you do to your, uh, in your normal shower. Then there's an adaptive shower, which at the beginning, again, depending on what you're going for, uh, you would usually gradually work your way up to about two minutes. If you can stand comfortably, more or less, in a cold shower for two minutes, and you don't have any significant reactions, you don't feel faint, your heart doesn't race, you don't feel like you're going to uh, need to hold on to something, or your muscles don't cramp up so much in the sense of feeling like you need to shiver, um, that you feel worried about something. So if you can get to two minutes and not feel like you're really seizing up or feeling really out of sorts, then from that point on, depending on your uh, athletic background and what your actual needs and, and focus and goals are, you may want to work your way up to about a five-minute cold shower. Uh, there's really not much point in uh, doing that longer than five minutes because if you're going to be doing a shower for more than five minutes uh, to stay cold, at that point you're probably better off to start using uh, ice plunges and deeper, deeper thresholds of cold to really uh, challenge your metabolism because after five minutes, that really must be what you're trying to do. So before we get into the big geek out and the science of how cold showers affect neuroplasticity, I just want to speak quickly about adaptability in a bit of a technical way. So most of us who are thinking about long-term health outcomes and longevity tend to focus on homeostasis or the best ways to keep all of your balancing systems in balance. And that's obviously a good idea. But it's also true that with respect to adaptability and long-term outcomes, uh, living a long life or being an athlete for as many decades as you can, one of the best things you can do is called allostasis, which isn't really the opposite of homeostasis, but it describes the um, inevitable and instinctual opportunities for your body to have to try something new, uh, obviously in a hurry if it's an instinctual situation. So allostasis could be anything from running longer than you usually do, lifting heavier weights than you usually do, fasting longer than you usually do, uh, perhaps drinking a lot more water than you usually do. Um, cold showers are a good example. Because basically allostasis is a fancy word for all of the subtle things that happen within your physiology and metabolism when your body has to expand its adaptive boundaries. If you're a person who likes to fast, you may be familiar with fasting for one or two or three days, and then when you fast for 10 days, it stands to reason that some very deep things going on within your body will have to wake up and uh, open up certain pathways for you to stay well during that long of a fast. So allostasis, in a way, is a really good teacher, and homeostasis, in a way, is a really good way to kind of like take a nap or to let your body uh, focus on rest and repair. So 
Uh, I just wanted to bring that up so as I get into the cold showers, we're all basically on the same team, which is we're trying to challenge things, especially your comfort zone. So the first thing I would usually talk to anyone about with respect to cold showers has to do with your vascular system. Now, because I like to do a big geek out, I'd like to start with some really fun numbers because they're, well, they're pretty geeky. If you take your entire vascular system of your average sized adult, they typically have about 120,000 kilometers or about 80,000 miles of vascular tissue. Now, that's kind of mind-boggling, but when you really look at how many billions of capillaries you have and um, what would they would be like if you sewed them all together, that's not actually that big of a stretch of the imagination. But 120,000 kilometers is a very uh, big, long muscle. So if we head to miles, it's 80,000 miles of vascular tissue that actually has to contract when you get cold and relax when you get hot. Or as you get more adapted to cold and your body isn't just doing an immediate arousal response, it's actually trying to get comfortable in the cold, then your vas vascular system actually contracts and then releases in the cold and then releases a bit more in the hot and then self-regulates. So the long and short of what I'm bringing to your attention is you have a massive amount of muscle tissue in your body doing basically the equivalent of chin-ups or push-ups every time you significantly change the temperature uh, of the water that you're having in your shower. So when it comes to vascular stimulation or vascular allostasis and cold showers, the best kind of shower is called an intermittent shower or the one where you turn the temperature up and down about every 15 seconds. And I would encourage you to start with maybe uh, one minute of that and then two minutes of that. And you'll notice throughout the rest of your day if you do your shower in the morning, when you do that intermittent shower and you feel all of the deeper self-regulating changes in stress hormones, um, overall energy levels, focus, concentration, memory, um, even appetite, they'll be fundamentally stimulated by uh, all of those push-ups and chin-ups of your massively long vascular system. Now, besides just the cool image of, you know, many thousands of miles of vascular tissue doing exercise, Besides the fun image of thousands of miles of vascular tissue doing chin-ups, the other primary benefit of that vascular response to changing temperatures is something called nitric oxide. Now, technically that's a gas and it has many stimulating effects on human health. At a certain threshold, nitric oxide is going to basically make your capillaries and your blood vessels relax a little bit, uh, ready for surging amounts of blood. So at the beginning of a cold shower, the stimulation is to contract the blood vessels to protect your body from getting the temperature of your blood too low, so your blood goes back into your core. That contraction releases the nitric oxide, and then the nitric oxide gets to a volume or a threshold that makes your vascular tissue relax so that you can get better uh, blood flow to your extremities and to your brain. Now, this can get really complicated, but I'm just going to ask you to follow me through this kind of meandering journey of possibilities. Because as nitric oxide goes up in your blood, certain changes happen within your brain. Some of these changes have been really clearly uh, researched and are pretty nailed down. Some of them are considered not so much causative, they're more correlative in the sense that we see changes uh, happening in, in two places at once, but we don't really have a clear sense of mechanism or predictability. 
So um, if I can think of a specific example as I walk through this and, and which one is more causative and clinically shown and which ones aren't, I'll try and, I'll try and make that uh, clear. But uh, for the most part, these are just associative relationships that um, hopefully uh, we'll learn more about soon. So the first thing that happens when nitric oxide goes up in your vascular tissue and eventually in your brain is a certain threshold with respect to all of your receptor sites um, in the brain start to shift. Now, if you're a fan of Wim Hof breathing and his perspective, he talks about changes in blood pH and that change in pH uh, allowing your receptor sites to work better. Now, that's an interesting associative theory and maybe that's true. But one thing that we do see happening uh, more clinically is a change in a uh, pathway regulating system called your BH4 pathway, which I'm not going to try and say out loud. It's uh, about 12 syllables in a row. But BH4 is basically the biochemical pathway that regulates part of your HPA axis uh, in the sense of hypothalamus pituitary adrenal uh, behavior. Um, more importantly, it has to do with the manufacture and regulation of a lot of neurotransmitters like, say, serotonin. Uh, and many others. So when you start upregulating the activity, uh, even if it's just uh, an overstimulation of the nitric oxide and more oxygen in, in your blood because you're probably breathing really deeply because you're cold in the shower, um, that alone will regulate and create a more abundant availability of neurotransmitters in your brain. And because this conversation is really about neuroplasticity, abundant availability of neurotransmitters is pretty much a win so that's the first thing that I would encourage people to notice. There's also some evidence, again associative, uh, with nitric oxide going up, um, stimulating the hormone called BDNF, or brain-derived neurotropic factor. So what that actually encourages more than anything is the actual growth and placement of new neuropathways, as well as just the healing and uh, regulation and maintenance of the rest of the brain, especially the glial immune system and the glial cells themselves. So this combination creates some pretty potent changes with respect to neuroplasticity as you get more familiar and engaged with your intermittent cold showers, hot, cold, hot, cold, the more that nitric oxide gets through your bloodstream into your brain, the more that's going to regulate and stimulate that BH4 pathway that makes your whole stress tolerance go up and your neurotransmitter production go up. Um, the BDNF hormone can also increase, which again helps your brain heal and grow. And those things altogether make neuroplasticity a much easier process because um, it isn't just that you're learning, it's that your body has the biological capacity to actually do all of this sort of microscopic physical stuff that's going on too. One of my favorite benefits of cold showers has to do with catecholamine dispersal. Now that's a fun thing to say if you want to impress people at parties, but to put it in simplest terms, you're taking where habitual tension is held in your body and you're basically putting yourself in an environment where your body needs to have equalized tension across your whole body in case you need to start shivering. So that, that's the, I don't know, that's the easy way to say it. There's a bit more going on and I'll walk you through it as best I can, but uh, the easiest way to do this is to actually kind of just reflex a muscle. 
So imagine for whatever reason, you're going to uh, really focus on your left bicep and you're going to do lots of exercises to try and make sure that that muscle is getting stronger and stronger every day. Because of that constant need uh, that you're telling your body that's going to happen every day, your body will start holding catecholamines like norepinephrine or kind of get up and go rocket fuel hormones in the motor plates of the muscle because your body's adapting to the fact that you're just really, really focused on your left bicep right now. And it only makes sense to make sure you have a lot of uh, kind of spark plug activity or the effect that uh, that kind of adrenaline has uh, on your muscles. The same is true if you're a person who walks around holding on to a lot of chronic postural tension. Now that may be because of overwork, it may be because you were beaten as a child, and I apologize if that's a triggering thing to say, but I want to bring your attention to the fact that most people uh, are unconsciously walking around holding on to unnecessary amount of, amounts of tension, possibly just because they have poor posture from sitting at a desk, or they have stiff backs from lifting up boxes all day, or again, they're walking around cringing in a fight-or-flight state or a low-grade freeze state, because their nervous system is just jammed up with trauma. So just like the person who's trying to get their bicep to work stronger, there's like a little Christmas tree uh, of wires going through your body with little light bulbs at the end. And the light bulbs are all those little motor plates that are full of catecholamines that are waiting for the point at which the tension in your body is going to get worse. Because if you've been holding the same tension for years, your body is naturally going to predispose the chemistry necessary to hold that tension. And because we're adaptive uh, animals or primates, um, it's just worth, you know, almost common sense to, to notice that we're always getting ready for the next most dangerous thing, right? So as the weightlifter analogy with your bicep, it's naturally adapting to the next five pounds you add on to whatever you're picking up. With respect to people who are getting older and working in very physical jobs, the body's adapting in its sort of future sense to heavier weights or uh, poor muscle health and function. With our trauma person, that person is walking around waiting to cringe that much more in a ton what's called a tonic crisis because of trauma, because the mind is naturally waiting for the next most scary kind of trauma. So again, if you take any of those people, put them in a cold shower, all those little Christmas lights or all the wiring with the energy held at the ends, waiting for the next most biggest trauma, they all have to basically run out of that process while you're in the cold shower. Because as soon as possible, your adaptive physiology wants you to have the same amount of available chemical energy in every muscle in your body, head to toe, just in case you need to start shivering because your body temperature is keep, keeps going lower. Now, this is especially true if you're doing the adaptive shower where you're trying to get to two minutes where you might just gradually uh, kind of walk or shuffle in a circle so that your body you know, gets cold back, front, back, front. Because you're basically moving into the direction where allostasis is going to make a huge difference for your health. Now, you may be wondering, you know, if you're trying to wrap your head around, what's the point of all that? Well, the point is that there's a big part of your midbrain called your somatosensory cortex that remembers you basically as a skeleton with muscles and a certain amount of overall kind of felt sense perception of the world. 
there's a lot of details to how that works, and that does include something called proprioception. So when you're in a cold shower and you get that catecholamine dispersal or the tension in all of your muscles equalizes, that middle part of your brain that reads how you hold on to your body or how your body's holding on to itself as a very profound shift from a latent trauma memory or a chronic pain memory to an overall adaptive whole body sense of self. Now, I wish I had a little... I don't know, button I could push that had party music go off in the background or fireworks or something, because for many, many people, that is, it's like a magic barrier that people go through that suddenly frees them from an embodied memory of themselves always being stuck in a way. Uh, in, in Chinese medicine, we're always talking about how, you know, qi flow gets stuck. And that's one of the ways, definitely, that we can say under the microscope that the energetic systems of the body are trapped in a, a memory or trapped in a chronic pain uh, setup. So again, being able to spread that out and regulate the whole body is profoundly beneficial for neuroplasticity because it breaks a lot of feedback back loops and it leaves a person li literally feeling more adaptive and more whole and more balanced in their posture and how they move and how they feel. So woohoo, more party music, but that's an amazing thing to predict and be able to do every day. But again, that's the more adaptive shower and the real benefits start to happen around a minute and a half to two minutes. Another benefit, and it's not really specific to neuroplasticity, but it's worth mentioning is when you're doing your adaptive shower uh, for two minutes or you're doing your intermittent shower back and forth, hot and cold, you're improving an aspect of microcirculation that over time can actually help peripheral circulation with people with uh, pretty significant disorders of its Raynaud's or uh, certain aspects of diabetic neuropathy um, can also benefit from this uh, improved microcirculation. It can also help with erectile dysfunction in men. It can help with certain aspects of fertility in women. Um, and it's also, I think, a pretty obvious thing, but we're saying that when your body's focused on healing any process, um, the microcirculation is the, really the front line. So by engaging in this behavior, again, of cold showers, you're giving your whole body uh, an upregulation in solving a bunch of just chronic, you know, midlife to uh, elder year uh, changes in the body that just make the body feel slightly more uh, wounded or less adaptive. So although that's not a big woohoo with party music about how the body works, it is just some good common sense. And sometimes it's that common sense that actually does allow neuroplasticity to take just one more step uh, forward because now the body feels younger or more adaptive or more capable of healing. So that's just a good common sense one. Another one that isn't, again, specific to neuroplasticity, but can actually help uh, with the energy systems in your brain, have to do more with the long-term showers, like the endurance ones that go on for about five minutes. Now, this gets a, a bad rap when uh, you're looking again at, say, Wim Hof breathing in cold showers and the th statements that he makes, uh, and other people who focus on breath work and cold exposure because they, they focus on the fact that by lowering your core body temperature, your brown fat cells burn fat faster. And yes, that's actually clinically true. However, 
your brown fat cells are very, very well dispersed throughout your, uh, especially your abdomen and visceral cavity. And they don't really have much to do with body weight or body size. Their primary focus has to do with being able to suddenly create a lot of thermal energy or a lot of heat. So when people say, do a cold shower, you'll burn fat, the typical person is going to think I can finally get rid of my love handles by freezing my butt off. Uh, there's probably about three other jokes in there, but um, when you are actually doing ex endurance or extended cold exposure, yes, your fat cells do have to, your brown fat cells do have to upregulate their metabolism to create heat. And the important thing about that for people who have been uh, kind of blunted on a metabolic level from high carbohydrate diets in the long term, and especially people who are having a hard time getting into ketosis, if that's something you're looking at doing, or if you're not taking it that far and you just want your physiology to be more resilient around burning sugar, burning triglycerides, and uh, eventually burning fats, this behavior of cold exposure, extended cold exposure, can help you do that in a couple of different ways. So I just wanted to clear up that one thing about brown fat because um, when anyone is coming up with something really old like cold showers or nowadays really new, you, you don't want to be careful with the claims you're making. But having said that, if you continually drop your body temperature, you know, a couple of degrees or more in a five-minute cold shower, your white fat as well as your brown fat is going to be involved. So yes, it can help with that. But again, that's a loose association in a way. But it's also some common sense. So I just wanted to throw that out there for people who like to be sure of what they're saying, but also for people who might have been leaning towards the hope that a cold shower is going to save you from, you know, having to go to the gym or something. <laughs> so that ketogenic benefit can help you not just really with so much fat loss, but mostly with making sure that your brain can very quickly go back and forth between running on, you know, cortisol and sugar and stress hormones, moving towards a more uh, stable metabolism that can run on either uh, carbohydrates or fats. And your brain really wants to be able to run on fats and carbohydrates back and forth, which is why most people who are getting into things like cold showers uh, are also doing things like intermittent fasting because pretty much everyone who's paying attention to the groundswell of what's going on in uh, health, uh, right now it's 2019, those are the big catchphrases. Are you doing ketosis? Are you doing intermittent fasting? Are you doing cold showers? Are you doing breath work? Because they're kind of new on the scene and uh, they've been around forever and they really, really help neuroplasticity because they regulate the way your brain actually fuels itself. More resilient fuel, more resilient growth, more resilient sense of yourself. So another aspect of cold showers that has to do with neuroplasticity that's a bit subtle has to do with what is called the relaxation response. So this is something that's been uh, used as a term in the research around stress physiology and the opposite of stress physiology for probably about 25 years, maybe more. The relaxation response is exactly what it sounds like. It's going from a highly tonic or hypertonic or, you know, wound up and bound up sense of how you feel in your body to something a little bit more flocky, floppy or the way you might feel in a hammock as, as kind of a loose example. Now, if you're a person who holds a lot of tension in your body or carries around a lot of uh, emotional pain or previous trauma, getting into a relaxation response is kind of like bungee jumping. 
because if you've been feeling kind of familiar for you know months or years or in some cases decades with your body and you're trying to learn meditation yoga qigong or you know just get a massage but there's a part of you that still feels like it's really hard to relax then believe it or not cold showers are actually a really good idea but you're going to want to progress through them from going to an intermittent hot cold back and forth to a gradually adaptive threshold like two minutes or so and then if you're still going strong way to go keep going for five minutes it's not a contest it's more of a context so it doesn't matter how far you get on that scale of using cold showers the more important thing is and this is tricky you want to make sure that you can practice your relaxation exercise whatever that might be um, in the shower while it's cold so uh, here's your basic fundamental relaxation exercise and uh, i encourage you to try this while you're listening so it's tangible to you you might not want to do this if you're driving because i don't want you to pass out and crash your car so take a moment and just take a deep breath all the way in hold on to it for a couple of seconds and then relax and let the breath out so inhale again and then just mimic some tension in your neck and shoulders hold on to that tension in your neck and shoulders for a couple of seconds really feel it ah and then as you breathe out relax your neck and shoulders move your neck around move your shoulders around and you're in a subtle way doing that relaxation response so I work with this in my clinical practice a lot, trying to help people find ways to feel how they're holding on to somatic tension, actually draw pictures of that, and then depending on if we're focusing on breath work or stretching or body work or acupuncture or other things, then we're going to be using that breath work at the same time. And you can do, this, do the same thing once you have a really good sense of the map of your tension when you're in a cold shower, because now would be a good time to have a relaxation response. And in fact, if I was to be kind of funny about this, I would say that if you can relax the same way you can relax in a massage while you're getting a cold shower, you just got your black belt in relaxation response training. And the ability to go from an upregulated sense of chronic discomfort to add the discomfort of a cold shower and then to relax through all of that, it's almost like climbing up and then climbing down a ladder it's just when you climb down the ladder suddenly feels longer. You're going to have a profound ability to change your neuroplasticity. You're going to sleep better. That's another benefit of cold showers just because of how it, how it uh, again, stabilizes all those neurotransmitter pathways. So if you're looking for some support in that way, uh, I'll be doing my 49 days mindfulness rite of passage coming up uh, in sep mid-September of 2019. And that's a 49-day... 20 minutes a day, every day, meditation, breath, breath work, mindfulness, qigong, stretching, uh, whatever else we decide to get into uh, every day. And I'm actually building a website and uh, doing a lot of filming and recording to make sure that all of the support material is there for people. So if you're a person who doesn't have a lot of experience or access to things like breath work training, meditation training, somatic awareness training, uh, and all the other fun things that uh, go along with that, including some qigong. Uh, get a hold of me because it's a, a really fun thing to do is to spend a, you know 20 minutes a day every day for seven weeks changing your neuroplasticity and changing, uh, well, 
all of your uh, go-to adaptive habits. Instead of going to have a drink, maybe you'll go and have a little breathwork session and some deep stretching instead. But these things are things you have to train. So that course isn't really a fluffy follow-along thing. It's actually meant to train people. So just putting that out there if you're looking for that kind of support. So the last thing that I'm going to bring up is kind of almost so obvious, it's almost counterintuitive. But when you're having a cold shower, one of the most fundamentally noticeable things that happens is the overall tendency towards swelling and inflammation and water retention start to go the other way. Now, as most modern humans move towards midlife, you know, 40s and 50s and on onwards, we just tend to get what people call puffy because we have more overall inflammation, we have uh, weaker membrane structures, we have, um, you know, chronic inflammation and again that water retention. And being able to mobilize that tissue waste of the swelling and the water retention out of your system is probably the closest thing to a literal detox that you could actually manufacture uh, within minutes. And this has a profound impact on your neurological health. And this is especially true if you've ever had a concussion or if you have post-concussive syndrome or if you have any kind of inflammatory autoimmune disease and especially if you have any kind of inflammatory condition or autoimmune condition that affects your brain or your spine uh, or your nervous system directly. Because the more you can bring your overall status of inflammation and uh, low-grade sepsis and water retention from just chronic infections and uh, you know, arthritis or whatever else might be going on, that change in your overall metabolic health and your immune system's health changes the underlying expression of your immune system in your brain. Now, this isn't something I think we've covered on the show and it's not something people often get into, but your body has several distinct immune systems and one of them is inside your blood-brain barrier. And the part of your brain that runs that immune system is called your glial cells, or your, it's technically called your microglial immune system. When the rest of your body's immune system is activated because it's got a low-grade septic infection because of water retention and swelling and inflammation, the immune system in your brain decides to kind of agree with the immune system in the rest of your body, and it starts to produce a little bit more inflammation and potentially a little bit of swelling inside your brain, which is, as you could guess, really bad for your brain. So cold showers went again because down-regulating all of that inflammation, helping your body mobilize the, the kind of lymphatic part of swelling and getting that water retention out of you is amazing. And just in case you're wondering, well, why does water retention and stuff like that change with cold showers? Uh, well, I live in Canada, so this is a pretty easy one to imagine. So if you don't live around a lot of cold winters, um, pretend you're hanging out up here in Canada for a minute. Because if you go outside and you're underdressed and it's really cold out, you're going to want to go for a pee really quick because your body doesn't want to keep all that fluid at body temperature when it's causing you a lot of calories to maintain your body temperature. So as soon as you get into especially those two-minute uh, cold showers, you're going to want to go to the bathroom to reduce your body's caloric uh, needs to stay warm. And that's just good survival strategy, way to go evolution. But it's also a really great way to keep making your metabolism every morning drop off unnecessary amounts of, of retained fluid. And again, that's just making your body clean itself out better, 
Uh, if you've listened to probably half of uh, any number or any one of about half of the podcasts we've already done in the past, you'll hear me say that you want to drink two hour, pardon me, you want to drink two liters of water every day and you want to drink that first liter in the first two hours. So this is a really powerful way to get things moving because if you can get the microglial immune system in your brain to settle, especially if you already have some kind of chronic inflammatory condition or a concussion or a bunch of other stuff, you can actually allow the neuroplasticity to move unhindered because it's hard to build new, new neuropathways in a brain that's full of inflammation and or feel swollen in any way. So I could probably go on for another 20 or 30 minutes with other little tidbits of geekiness and fun that have to do with neuroplasticity and cold showers, but I'll stop there. And I just wanted to say thanks for listening if you've been listening to Fusion Health Radio, and I apologize that we've been kind of hit and miss for a while. And if you have listened to the 49-day uh, stuff that I put up for the people who asked me to put the audio up, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And again, uh, I'll be doing the whole thing in a much more organized and technically supported way coming up in September. So if you're into that, let me know. And I'll be back on the air again next week with something new and fun. Uh, I think I'll be talking about mindfulness and the, what I call the triangle of mindfulness. Because uh, for those of us who want to meditate but have a difficult time doing it, it can be really good to understand what it is that your uh, higher brain functions are doing and how to maybe rearrange your expectations and your practice to get the most out of where your brain is actually running itself so you can actually learn to change how your brain runs itself so you can actually meditate like people did a long time ago. So thanks for watching and uh, have a great day. Please throw out your questions, comments, and uh, anything like that. We'll be back on... Uh, social media or I guess I will at Fusion Health Radio on Facebook so you can always get a hold of me there and thank you for listening and have a great day you have been listening to Fusion Health Radio please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio